0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Tuesday, February the 14th, 2023, Valentine's Day, the day of love, the day of relationships, the day where we find our ideal other, or at least we imagine finding our ideal other. Relationships, of course, require two parties. It takes two to tango. And uh, on the political economic front, uh, it seems as if the two dominant institutions of our 20th and 21st century age have fallen out of love, democracy and capitalism, at least according to my guest today, the very distinguished uh, financial columnist and authority, Martin Wolf. He has a new book out, The Crisis of Democratic Capitalism, and he followed up with a wonderful piece in the FT, his own newspaper, In Defense of Democratic Capitalism. Uh, Martin is joining me from uh, South London, where he lives now. Um, Martin, um, is it a romantic crisis, this crisis of democratic capitalism? Can democracy and capitalism, can they no longer live with one another?
1: Well, I think that's, it's a good metaphor because I describe it in my book as a marriage. Uh, um, but a marriage of complementary opposites is the phrase I use. And so my argument is they need each other. Um, uh, Democracy needs a thriving market economy and a thriving market economy actually needs democracy. But it's a complex marriage as many marriages are. And sometimes they fall out of love. And the result is that democracy starts wanting a more authoritarian government to keep everything in order. And capitalism wants a more plutocratic government. In other words, the capitalists want power for themselves in the political system. And if that happens, well, you don't get the marriage anymore. And you start seeing um, different forms of government emerge across the world. But there's a lot of authoritarian governments now, or the threat of them. And there are certainly quite a few governments that have looked or do look highly plutocratic.
0: This is all very personal for you. Um, you, you begin your essay um, uh, in the FT and you write about it in the book with your own personal history. Here we have, for people watching, an image of a, a six-year-old Martin Wolf with his father and mother 13 years after your mother arrived in England. You write about uh, your mother escaping uh, the Netherlands in uh, May 1940, uh, which saved her life, of course, and uh, resulted in the existence of Martin Wolf. How personal, Martin, is this for you? This is more than just a, an economic issue. You're you're known as a, as a great economic authority, but you're very passionate about this issue, aren't you?
1: Yes, I mean. Let me be very clear, I say this in the book, must say now, I'm not comparing our time now with the 1930s, of course not. There are profound differences, all to the better. Um, but what is true is that for most of my life, and looking back on it, I think I was a little foolish and complacent. I just took for granted that we would generate a stable democratic society. And uh, and that this would survive and flourish. But increasingly in recent years, and particularly since the financial crisis, uh, I've been concerned that fissures are opening up, which are creating opportunities for demagogues of both the right and the left, though the right wing ones are more successful. And they are um, introducing some pretty unpleasant features into our society. And in some places, uh, at right recently, people like that have basically subverted democracy by insisting that the will of the majority, which they embody, they claim to embody because they're the leaders uh, of uh, a party in a majority position and they hold office that they are entitled to do essentially whatever they want, because the majority is always right, isn't it? It's called the tyranny of the majority. And in the process, they threaten to subvert law, subvert independent institutions, reverse or overthrow the results of elections. And in the process, democracy itself comes to be at risk. And I think it's pretty clear we're seeing this in many countries. Um, I think it's part of Well, you know. say
0: many countries, Martin. Uh, I mean, leaving aside countries which have already been authoritarian, Russia, obviously, and perhaps Turkey, what countries in particular are you thinking about?
1: Well, I think the threat of what is called uh, illiberal democracy, you can see it very clearly in Hungary and in Poland. Um, you, uh, I think, alas, can see it today uh emerging in Israel, uh, I think you can see it uh, and very clearly, though it's not got to the point of subverting democracy in India. Um, you could see it, as you say, in Turkey, which was a country which many of us thought was moving successfully towards democratic capitalism, and as that's been completely uh, reversed, um, there have been brushes with this in Brazil and in the Philippines. Um, It looks as though at the moment these have survived, but uh, uh, not that uh, it's uncertain. And of course, the most important case by far uh, is the U.S.
0: So this is Larry Diamond's famous democratic deficit, which Larry's been on the show. You say the most famous is the U.S. This is in some ways, perhaps, Martin, the most controversial part of your book. Uh, You mentioned before that everyone loved the book except the Wall Street Journal, uh, and that review suggested perhaps that you exaggerated certainly the crisis of democratic capitalism in the United States. Do you believe that democracy almost died on January 6th in the US?
1: No, I don't think January the 6th was itself that important. I think far more important. Uh, really disturbing is the fact that the president of the United States uh, refused and continues to refuse to accept the result of the election and fought to the end, as it were, against it and continues to do so. Moreover, his party uh, um, has gone along with those lies. Um, there's no other word, notably in the House of Representatives. And of course, a huge proportion of Republican voters have continued to hold the view that, that the results of the election were illegitimate. Now, um, the peaceful transfer of power and the acceptance by the losers that they, uh, the victory of the winners was legitimate is, I think, an absolutely essential part of any working democracy. And I do think that if you look back, uh, say the election in which Al Gore lost, this was really contentious about who won, far more so than last time when Trump clearly lost. But once the Supreme Court had ruled, um, Al Gore accepted this, Uh, but Trump has never done so. Trump didn't appear at the inauguration of his successor. This process of delegitimizing elections is obviously incredibly dangerous. Furthermore, I expect that if Trump or somebody likes him is reelected, that he will want to do things, and I believe he will be able to do things that decrease the likelihood that it, not him, but somebody else holding the same position, will win whatever the true result You
0: can say somebody like him. I'm not sure if there's anybody like Donald Trump. But do you think DeSantis is like him? It seems to me, maybe I'm naturally optimistic on this front, it seems to me that things are getting back to normal in the United States. The latest hysteria on shooting down Chinese balloons reflects that. Ron DeSantis is a culture warrior, but he's not Trump. Is there any possibility, Martin, that all this is a little bit exaggerated and things will simply get back to normal and and, and Trump was an outlier and simply brought the absurdities of show business into American politics.
1: Well, the problem is with that view, first of all, obviously goes back to the start. I'm not very complacent about situations. The peculiarities of Trump are not the point. Um, the, The fact is that this man with these characteristics, this character became the candidate became the leader of the the Republican Party, continues to be supported by an enormous number of Republicans, and his lies continue to be believed by, or at least they say they believe them. And those people who've been honest enough, like Liz Cheney, who after all is the staunchest possible conservative, to say these are all lies have been essentially thrown out of the party. Now, this suggests to me, to put it mildly, The problem isn't Trump, the problem is the party and or at least a very significant part of its supporters who don't know the difference between uh, a democracy and uh, something else. Now, you can say that nobody else will ever try this again. But I wonder why that should be the case, given that it was nearly so successful. I would have thought there must be plenty of bright people saying to themselves, well, Trump nearly pulled it off. Why shouldn't I?
0: Let's get back to the crisis, perhaps, in this relationship between capitalism and democracy. You really stress you're, above all else, an economist. You you stress the growth of inequality uh, in your FT piece. You talk about the U.S. and the U.K. being the most unequal of high-income companies, uh, c- countries. But every country, uh, inequality is growing. Is this the root of the problem? the root of the crisis of democratic capitalism, that our economic system is creating more and more inequality, Martin?
1: Actually, no, I don't think it is. I think it's one of many factors. Um, From the economic point of view, I do think economics have been important. I think there are um, uh, two other very important factors. The, uh, The first of these is one of the great structural upheavals uh in in economic history namely deindustrialization, the decline of the employment in manufacturing and industry more broadly across many of our economies but it's been very traumatic in the us and uk and is but that
0: in, a, the, is this the what's resulted in the cumulative shortfalls in gdp and a, and a fall in productivity
1: well no the, this is really just the declining shares of uh, of uh, of uh, employment in manufacturing, the, this created a really, uh, if you like, almost a labour aristocracy, the old industrial working class, and that's disappeared. Um, the uh, the other um, r- important factor, which you just pointed out in this ch- chart, is. In addition to the industrialization, there's been a marked slowdown across the Western world in productivity growth in the last two decades. The US was a bit of exception in the early 2000s, since declined dramatically. That means basic living standards haven't been rising as fast as they used to. In the economy as a whole, growth is weaker. And the other point I made is that since the financial crisis, the shortfall in GDP per head by 2021 vis-a-vis what would have happened if pre-crisis trends had continued have become really dramatic. Again, it's across, uh, across uh, many of these countries. The one big exception is Germany. So I think one of the, th- the things coming together in societies where there's high inequality, slow growth in average living standards, a shortfall in the growth of average living standards vis-a-vis the pre-financial crisis period, The shock of the financial crisis itself, which shows that something is really pretty rotten in the economy, have combined to make a lot of people pretty unhappy with where they are and less trusting, above all, less trusting of a range of elites. But I also talk about the cultural war, the role of what I call the Brahmins in alienating ordinary people and immigration as also a very significant factor in alienating ordinary people who feel that they basically, to a significant extent, been abandoned by uh, the people who actually run society. And that on both you know, all all sorts of elites. And this has made them open to the appeal of cultural warriors, but even more of demagogues who promise them solutions for all their problems, simple solutions for their problems in China. In Trump's case, the simple solution was he would bash China and bring back industry, which, of course, he didn't. And in the case of Boris Johnson, it was we would get out of EU and become magically more prosperous. These are frauds. And when people find that these things are frauds, um, interestingly enough, they don't necessarily turn on the fraudster, but though they can, but they tend to just get more angry. And I think the danger is if these things don't get better, that they will, again, want somebody like that, but even more so.
0: Martin, last time I saw you, it was at the DLD conference in Munich earlier this year, actually, last month, Um, and you spoke about the rise of unhappiness, of anger. I had the head of Gallup, uh, the polling polling company, on the show a couple of weeks ago. He's written a book about how we all miss this growth of unhappiness. is this growth of unhappiness purely economic? Isn't it also cultural and technological? Everyone seems angry, even the rich. What's
1: going on? Well, I think I'm sure there are many aspects of this, and I wouldn't call myself a, an expert on unhappiness. This would be uh, arrogant, arrogant nonsense. Uh, I referred, to, in my book to some work, I think some very interesting work by sociologists, God help us, on what they call status anxiety and particularly uh, the uh, concern the unhappiness which is focused on the fear of falling in out of a relatively comfortable though somewhat insecure middle income position into something much worse and that that is seen as a pretty good predictor of political behavior again um, there's very great deal of evidence that financial crises cause political upheaval. It's a sort of almost universal phenomenon, um, which you find in many, many countries. That's economics. But there's no doubt, in my view, uh, I stress this in my book, that uh, economic change may make uh, um, uh, cultural phenomenon, cultural exam. Uh, anxiety, more salient, more, more real. If you feel uh, that you, people are despising your culture, that you're in the process of cultural changes you don't like, that the people who, do, who are doing this look down on you, and at the same time that uh, your economic position is worsening, that you uh, can't sustain the living standards you'd hope for uh, in all sorts of ways, your um, family is downwardly mobile relative uh, in a relative basis. These things come together. Uh, but I do think that the economics perform a trivue, uh, uh, perform a trigger role. And the that's why, in my judgment, we saw this real outburst of a uh, populist um, demagoguery uh, a few years after the financial crisis. And we see it in many countries in the West. I mean, just most French people I talk to now expect Marine Le Pen to be the next president of France. That will be another instance of exactly this phenomenon.
0: Doesn't economics, though, Martin, always create politics? Isn't the reality that we have technology that is, by definition, creating inequality? We have this show uh, now, uh, although there's a little bit of echo on the line. uh, But... um, In the old days, this would be done with hundreds of people on a television platform. Now you and I can do it. You're an author. You're a columnist. You travel all over the world. Isn't the problem not so much um, inequality, but the way in which inequality and productivity and shortfalls of GDP have all fallen in together so that the architecture of 21st century democratic capitalism lends itself to the creation of a new aristocracy of people like yourself.
1: Well, I love the idea of being an aristocrat. Uh, I don't think it's entirely and myself, true. I'll
0: include myself as well. And I don't uh, mean that as an insult, I mean it actually as a compliment. Even if well, you're in London. The point I would make
1: is, in a way I would agree with you, but in, in this sense, and I, I write a bit, quite a bit about this, after the initial upheaval of the Industrial Revolution in the 19th century for our societies. Um, It then created something quite new, uh, a working class in our sense, blue collar workers, I think would be the American phrase, who um, who mostly worked in large plants, who got very good wages. They were unionized. Their unions were strong. They had no serious competition from anywhere in the world. Their firms, uh their businesses that employed them basically shared the, the surplus the rent technically that these huge corporations could generate in relatively protected markets where nobody else in the world except other developed countries knew how to make the stuff that they were making so by the middle of the 20th century this um middle or upper working class, if you like, became an immensely powerful feature of our societies. Technology undermined this. It was the most powerful way uh, that uh, this was undermined, though trade also played, I think, a secondary role. But technology undermined this dramatically in multiple ways, shifting society and society's economic structure uh, towards graduates who increased immensely in number, the most successful of whom became very much better off um, a enormously wealthy um, class of top business leaders and financiers which again was very different from the middle of the 20th century a very different way of running companies the collapse of trades unions um, the atomization I think of, of the sort of these sorts of structures that link people together the social media that then replaced, more, more normal social contact face to face. I think this all comes together. I think it's just another way of summarize what you say to create almost a perfect storm for the stability of the old system. And we're now trying to find a way of creating a new system that is stable, but right at the moment, it's going pretty obviously at the, If you're optimistic through some very big teething pains. And one of the aspects of that is we're getting performative politics politics that doesn't address real problems politics that ferments anger and resentment as a core part of politics i think that's a very dangerous way to run politics
0: yeah and i think in that sense the wall street journal agrees with you except that they see that performative politics on the left rather than the right so let's get to the core issue martin which you talk about which is the crisis of the elites, whether you call it an aristocracy or uh, I don't, maybe we can call them a, a democratic capitalist aristocracy, this new, enormously productive, wealthy class that it's emerged, is the problem that these people don't wear the traditional clothing of the aristocracy, that they're not willing or they're not. No one is actually talking about their responsibility. They are creating what? I guess the Marxists would call a false consciousness. Uh, Is the problem in part a crisis of elites, which is obviously a perpetual feature of human society?
1: Yes, it's very strongly my view. It's a crisis of elites and indeed it's how it ends. I mean, one way of bringing together, though it's painful for me to do so, my view and that of the author of the Wall Street Journal um, paper uh, review is to say, um, there are, and this follows of all people, Thomas Piketty. I think it's a very nice idea. He say, argues there are your aristocracy contains essentially two elites, uh, and they're in they're both powerful but in completely different ways. And one dominates the parties of the right, and the other dominates the parties of the left. Or the, the one elite is the commercial elite the uh, the money delete, the people who've done very, very well out of the new economy. Uh, uh, And it's pretty obvious who they are. Um, uh, The the new class of millionaires and billionaires in finance, in business, in entrepreneur, as entrepreneurs who are huge donors to political parties, mostly but not exclusively by any means on the right. Uh, you know, the Koch brothers and all the rest of that's one elite. And the other elite is, I suppose, the intellectual and academic uh, uh, literary elite who dominate universities, dominate um, publications, uh, write most of the books, though not all, who are um, present in many think tanks, though they're also think tanks very much dedicated to the former group. These are two elites and they have different aims, though both no doubt want power over society for their own purposes, as elites tend to do. They are in rivalry with each other. And one uh, uh, group um, will uh, focus their anger on the former. I suppose I'm more on that side. And the other group will focus their anger on the latter, which is very clearly where the Wall Street Journal is, but it's perfectly reasonable. And indeed, I make it clear in my book to argue that both are problematic, because both are winding up people to hate the people on the other side. Both are um, not fundamentally interested in the welfare of the society as a whole, which is my main focus. So I so I criticize both. Both are in very different ways, relying on cultural tropes and cultural attitudes to fight one another rather than what I think of as more important policies, which affect the welfare directly of people. And this division between elites who are really indifferent to the fate of the majority of the people um, is part of what I think of as profound alienation. They both succeed to some degree in creating the anger uh, throughout society, which they can exploit, but it's a, it, it's an immensely dangerous form of politics that we're seeing this culture war, which both sides are promoting. Now, my idea in the book is to abandon the identity wars and the culture wars because these can't be resolved politically in any sensible way uh, because the disagreements on culture are so profound. Just put that to one side and focus on practical things that will make better, people better off. And I must say that I rather respect this administration for at least trying to do this. It seems. You to mean me- uh,
0: the Biden administration?
1: Yeah. Uh, it, it seems to me the least bad way of going about trying to bring people together again, because if we end up in this, who's more American than others? Who's more a traitor than others? Uh, um, uh, uh, we we end up in something like that. We delegitimize the other side, and if we delegitimize the other side, as a, we simply say, they're not legitimate players in the political system. They're not real Americans. Um,
0: Ma- Martin- Pareto, I'm sure you're very familiar with his work, the Italian economist, sociologist from the beginning of the 20th century argued that elites always pursue their own interests for better or worse, and they always dress it up in morality. I tend to agree with him. Um, Wasn't the the elites of the mid 20th century, the elites that you, I think, are somewhat nostalgic for, the elites of the New Deal, of British uh, democratic socialist system, those elites have gone away, and the elites of the FDR age, they suited themselves. They weren't necessarily any more or less communitarian than anyone else throughout history, any more or less unselfish. Are you yourself ultimately just a technocrat? You want to get rid of the blood and guts of politics. Um, Are you secretly not particularly keen on, you're you're clearly keen on capitalism, And you're no friend of Thomas Piketty, although you like his critique, but you don't agree with his solution. But are you ultimately rather suspicious of democracy itself for all its blood and guts? Because you don't seem to like disagreement. You don't like it when people are wrong. And throughout human history, people have generally been wrong. That's just the nature of who we are as a species.
1: Well, my answer to that is this is why life is difficult. The... um Democracy is about containing differences, which are absolutely legitimate and fundamental. I have no problem with that. There have to be differences, which are very important, within a set of uh, accepted constraints and rules. And so to go back to my uh, book, populism is natural. anti elitism is natural. Self-interested elites is natural. All of these are clearly phenomena we are expect to expect but if the system is to work those have to be con- contained within some set boundaries which say in essence as i've said before the, the players in the political game are legitimate if they win and we lose we accept that they've won and if they win they accept our right to organize against them they accept that there are constraints and limits on what they may legitimately do and i just point out one really sort of fundamental point which uh, i draw from the work of a um, a distinguished academic in princeton which is populism is wonderful as long as it doesn't become fundamentally anti-pluralist that is to say it doesn't go to the point at which people say those who are not on our side are enemies of the people. They are no longer legitimate. They're not part of the real people. The step from that to outright dictatorship is not, in my view, a very large one. And we have to remember you talk about politics in the past. Democratic politics, any form of democratic politics, is very recent historically. We all lived in in essentially aristocratic regimes or monarchical regimes, more or less into well into the 19th century and in many places far later. Democracy has always been known to be fragile. Everybody's understood that. So I just think this view, well, this is how it always is. The elites are completely predatory. Of course, they are. (laughs) I I didn't say that That doesn't work That leads to breakdown That's where I came in the beginning And I think That with the lies We've been subjected to I don't worry about Difference of opinion But when we get into lies about the electoral system Lies about core policy uh, And what will happen For instance if Britain Makes the irreversible step of leaving the EU Which we now just cannot handle, then I think we enter into territory where the stability of democracy itself is in question. And I do find it astonishing, truly astonishing, that people can look at what's been happening in America with the Republican Party, most notably. Maybe it will happen at some point with the Democrats. Perfectly possible. Uh, I don't think it has yet, though some have suggested it does. Um, ridiculous parallels, I think. but this is dangerous if you're not aware that it's dangerous then i think it's that is even more worrying
0: let's end uh, martin with with some concrete uh fixes what is to be done um you you are spoke in your piece and in the book uh, and particularly in terms of the elites this crisis of the elites what, what should the western elites do what can they do um over the next five to ten years to to, to strengthen democratic capitalism to, to 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 make this a marriage again rather than a um uh, uh, a crisis a romantic crisis on on valentine's day let's try and think more positively here you can be our marriage counselor for the end of the show
1: i think the the core point is i'm appealing i don't think i'm appealing to people's benevolence i'm appealing to people's self-interest now I think it should be rational self-interest or enlightened self-interest. But what I'm trying to say is, is if you're a member of the elite, um, these different elites, you need to understand that this game of democratic division of power, rotation of power, dissatisfaction because you never get it all your own way. That's just life because there are so many people in the society who disagree with you fundamentally this is actually in your interest. Because if you shift the society into one in which, in principle, you could imagine, I can do whatever I want to get the society I want and suppress everybody else. The experience we get when we have is these societies just don't run very well. The society which is based on outright oppression of or suppression of views you don't share, is a society in which most people, if they know anything about it, wouldn't want to live. And I make the point, just to take one example, I refer to some of these illiberal quote-unquote democracies. Well, these tend up to end up as crony capitalist systems. And these sorts of autocrats have no interest in the interests of the, the very wealthy. To take just this one example, just look at Putin with the, the oligarchs. Okay, but well, let's go back one. to the US and the
0: UK rather than, than Putin. Yeah, well, um, but
1: this is, we have to look at the extreme examples. We can't think of ourselves as completely different. We're all human. So the point is, I think that the elite should say we want a society in which everybody feels happier. And that means cooling the culture wars very substantially, and it also means in securing a widely shared prosperity and opportunity as is possible within the confines of the particular society you live in. In America, I think it's pretty obvious some of the things that would have to be done to make that possible. They'd be very difficult. I understand that. But one of the things that would be a necessary condition for that, as I argue, is that the richest people in society accept they can bear a little more tax.
0: So you're, in in that sense, you're... um the same page as Piketty, that you need, you say, a little more tax, Martin. Are we talking 10 15 20% more tax?
1: Uh, percent on the share on the... Yeah, I, mean, it, some,
0: uh, I mean, you've talked about this huge crisis, and then you say, well, to fix it, everyone has to think they're in the same game, which we hear, whatever, and that we need a little bit more tax. It doesn't seem like... A, a well, particularly actually, dramatic. Actually, actually the, the, I mean, obviously
1: this gets into technical issues and the impossibility of solving things. But all the evidence is that the Americans could have a far better healthy system with very substantial increases in longevity while spending 6% of GDP, 6 percentage points of GDP less. America has the lowest life expectancy of any developed country by a substantial margin. And and it spends 6 percentage points more on health in gdp than any other country now you will say this cannot be reformed maybe it's unreformable but this is crazy i think you could you could save lots of money and do better i think if you were more generous with child care you could actually get a better educated population a better labor force and quite possibly higher labor force participation there are lots of things that could be done in america that will benefit both the economy and society at very limited cost. Now, all these are ruled out, uh, uh, ruled out uh, of uh, consideration, but I hope at some point they will be considered.